This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. Last October, when Justice Amy Coney Barrett was sworn into the highest court in the land, she said politics would not play a part in her decisions. The oath that I have solemnly taken tonight means at its core that I will do my job without any fear or favor and that I will do so independently of both the political branches and of my own preferences. As the first term with a newly established six-justice conservative majority ends, the analysis of its decisions begins. Joining me is constitutional law professor Josh Blackman of the South Texas College of Law. So, Josh, did the court shift to the right this term? Without question, the court shifted to the right, but not nearly as far as some critics expected or perhaps feared. I think on certain types of hot-button issues, the court is definitely more conservative. I think the Voting Rights Act decision is one case where unquestionably Justice Ginsburg would have voted one way and Justice Amy Coney Barrett voted the other way. There have been some other cases on the rights of unions to help organize on disclosure laws for tax donation cases, where the court definitely reached results that were more conservative. But this wasn't a sharp turn to the right. The court didn't reach a sweeping ruling in a case involving adoption agencies and whether the Catholic Church can decline to work with gay parents. The court did not reach any kind of sweeping ruling on the Obamacare case. In many cases, the court was stuck in the middle. And you had Justice Thomas Gorsuch and Alito sort of screaming, what are you doing? Why are you stopping so short? Why are you being such cowards? Let's go further. But at present, you have three judges in the middle, Roberts, Barrett, and Kavanaugh, who seem content to pump the brakes and drag their feet. There were some unusual vote alignments, notably in the Obamacare case. Is there a coalition among the conservative justices? I think the court has six conservatives, but they are not all the same stripe. I see it as kind of a 3-3-3 split. Not always, but in many cases. On the left, you have Kagan, Sotomayor, and Breyer, and they will vote in lockstep in just about every important case. And unimportant cases, they were allowed to break up. But in things that actually matter, they should vote together. And then you have the three super conservatives. You have Alito, Thomas, and Gorsuch, and they tend to vote together quite often. Not always, but in certain high-profile cases, they seem to see things the same way. But then you have the chief justice, and you have Justice Barrett and Justice Kavanaugh, and they often will vote with the three conservatives, but in other cases, they don't. And they align with the court's three liberals, and they make a more moderate ruling. I think the chief justice has shown his moderate bona fides now for nearly a decade. I think Justice Kavanaugh has shown us flashes of it. And at least in her first term, Justice Barrett seems to have similar conceptions. Do you think that it's that Justice Barrett is like Chief Justice John Roberts interested in incremental changes, or do you think it's the so-called freshman effect, where it's her first term on the bench and she's not going to go boldly? You know, I don't buy this freshman effect. Justices follow it except when they don't. Justice Gorsuch came out in guns blazing his first term. Justice Kagan and Justice Sotomayor came out with guns blazing their first terms of vicious dissent. I just don't buy this theory. I think the justice is who they are, and how they vote is how they vote. If there is such a thing as a freshman effect, it's self-inflicted, right? If you start doing something one way, you fall into habits and patterns that are hard to break out of. 
So I, I just I don't buy this theory. Did you see the Chief Justice's hand in the unanimous results with narrow rulings that sort of kicked the can down the road as far as the main issues concerned? One of my biggest grievances with the Chief Justice is he refuses to decide issues. He's consent to let the lower court sort of wiggle and drift and float in the wind. Clarifying law doesn't matter as much as reaching a result that seems politically palatable. As a result, issues keep getting kicked down the road and they're resolved in incomplete fashions, and Roberts hopes the else will take care of it. That's not good if you're a practicing attorney, and it's not good if you're a lower court judge because you don't know what to do. But that's what Roberts prefers. Is that what happened in the unanimous decision in the Fulton County case where a Catholic social services agency excluded same-sex couples from foster care? Well, yeah, the Philadelphia case was unanimous, but it didn't actually resolve the issue. All it said is that a president Philadelphia grants exemption to some people, but not to the Catholic services. Philadelphia come back and say, okay, we won't grant any exemption. And that simply reanimates the issue, and then you have to go back to, was there a violation of the First Amendment? So these are these super narrow rulings that don't really resolve the debate. Did you see cases where the liberal justices were able to find their way into the majority by pulling some of the conservatives in? Yes, I think the Philadelphia Dauphin case is perhaps the greatest example there's some evidence that originally Justice Alito may have had the majority opinion and he could have lost it. And perhaps Chief Justice Roberts had a very narrow opinion that attracted over some of the conservatives and they flipped. And that's entirely possible. The, the majority opinion in the Philadelphia case was so super narrow that I think a bunch of the liberal judges were able to move across and, and each side. And the concurrence was scathing. Right. Justice Alito, he was not happy. And I think that bitterness reflects the fact that this was not the term he expected. He thought by putting Justice Barrett on the court, he was going to get some W's and wins. And in fact, he got a bunch of L's. He had some losses. Coming up next, Professor Josh Blackman and I will discuss those six to three decisions that went right down ideological lines. The nine-month Supreme Court term took place entirely behind closed doors because of the coronavirus pandemic, something Chief Justice John Roberts joked about in his virtual commencement address at his son's high school. As for working remotely... I was asked whether the justices participating in arguments from their homes would wear robes. I didn't know if the person was asking judicial or bath. So how did the new 6-3 to three conservative majority play out? In some cases, like the Obamacare decision, the justices formed unusual alignments. In others, for example, involving gay rights versus religious rights, they reached narrow but unanimous decisions. In still others, the justices split right down ideological lines on issues like voting rights and union rights. I've been talking to constitutional law professor Josh Blackman of the South Texas College of Law. Josh, I want to get your take on why the justices ended the term with two six to three decisions down ideological lines, one limiting the landmark Voting Rights Act. Why do you think the justices couldn't reach a consensus in that case which will be critical in the coming challenges to restrictive voting laws that are being passed. On some issues, the conservatives are willing to be moderate. On other issues, they're not. I think on this voting rights issue, they think they're unequivocally correct that the Voting Rights Act is much more narrow than it is. States have autonomy. I think this is one of those issues where there's no daylight between the conservatives. They all see eye to eye on this one. Even Chief Justice Roberts, who is usually quite moderate, has a long history of the Voting Rights Act. He was a young lawyer in the Reagan administration who urged this narrow construction back in the early 80s. He's had this view for a very long time. 
I often say if you want to know what's important to John Roberts, look at what was on the Reagan administration's agenda 30 years ago. If it wasn't, he doesn't really care about it. But, you know, affirmative action, the Voting Rights Act, these things really matter to him, and he will push for them. What about the labor union case? Because labor unions lost once again at the court. There have been several decisions limiting the power of unions, including the Janus case in 2018 that reversed a 40-year-old precedent. I think labor unions are in the same boat as the Voting Rights Act. This is an issue that's been a long-standing thorn in the conservative side, especially the public sector unions. I see no daylight between the conservatives on this. The unions are going to lose. So, Justice Barrett, we talked about how she may favor incremental changes, but that doesn't appear to be true in religious cases and in the so-called shadow docket, which is the emergency orders and requests that occur outside of the court's usual docket. In those cases, she appeared to flip the court on COVID restrictions on houses of worship. Do you agree? Oh, I do. I had a piece in Newsweek discussing the 333 alliance, and one of the points I make is that the biggest evidence of this break is actually the shadow docket. It's not the regular docket. If you look at the regular docket, Barrett and Gorsuch were on the same page 90% of the time. If you look at the shadow docket, there are many cases where they disagreed. Perhaps one of the most glaring examples was a case called Lombardo versus City of Philadelphia. In this case, police officers put pressure on a man's back for several minutes. He was a prisoner, and he stopped breathing, and he died. And this is probably the closest analog the court has had to a George Floyd-like case. The prisoner's family brought an excessive force case, and they lost in the lower courts. They went to the Supreme Court. It was pending for nearly 10 months. It keeps kind of floating around, which tells us there were negotiations afoot. The court could have granted a review to say, let's hear the case like normal, or they could have just denied review and said this case is not worthy of our review, that it's such a fact-bound issue that we're not going to touch it. And instead, the court did something weird. They basically said, well, lower court, take another look at it, see if you applied your standard correctly. We think you may have, but we're not sure, which is very weird. The court doesn't usually get involved with this sort of micromanagement of the lower courts on a very factual issue where there's no sort of circuit split. Alito, Gorsuch, and Thomas dissented. And they basically said, this is such a bizarre ruling, the court is a coward. They said the court is unwilling to bear the criticism that would come from ruling against the prisoner. In other words, if they denied the petition outright, people would say, oh, they're insensitive to Black Lives Matter. So they did a sort of middle-of-the-road position. And that's a big charge to say that the majority is unwilling to bear criticism. It says that they are responsive to public pressure. And that's a theme that I think the conservatives are trying to push, that Barrett and Kavanaugh are like Roberts and that they are responsive to public pressure. And that's a very bad sign for conservatives and a very good sign for liberals. Because no matter how many Republican justices you have, there's always pressure from the media to go to the left. And this pressure may be working already on the two newest justices. Let's look at some stats. Justice Kavanaugh was in the majority the most, 96% of the time. The chief justice was next, 91% of the time in the majority. Justices Barrett and Gorsuch were in the majority, 89% and 88% respectively. And the rest of the justices varied from a low of 75% for Justice Sotomayor to a high of 80% for Justice Thomas. So Kavanaugh replaced Roberts, who was in the majority 97% of the time last term. So is that the new center of the court? Yeah, Kavanaugh's the center of the court. You know, I think he likes to like and he will stay in that center. I think that's where he wants to be. Again, I think the Barrett-Gorsuch line is a bit misleading because it ignores the fact that there are lots of cases that aren't being granted, that Barrett is not going with the conservatives. There was another case called Arlene Flowers, 
this case involved a florist in Washington State, and she declined to make a floral arrangement for a gay union. I think it was in 2013, so almost a decade already. This case has been floating forever. Three justices would have taken the case to say that there's a free exercise and a free speech right to decline to make the flowers. Barron and Kavanaugh were not willing to take the case, and the three conservatives signaled their dissent, which lets you count and know that the others were unwilling to take it. So Barrett's also showing this restraint on what cases they put on the docket. And if you don't put a case in the docket, there's less disagreement. So is it still the Roberts court? Well, I think the chief is thrilled. I'm sure he worried that he would lose his power. If Barrett had just gone with Alito, then Roberts would have been, you know, meaningless or not five votes. The fact that Barrett sidled up to Roberts means that he's still the king and he'll still have the power for the foreseeable future. There are a lot more controversial cases coming up next term, including cases on hot-button issues like abortion rights and gun rights. Is that perhaps a signal that the court's conservatives might be ready to move farther to the right? I don't know. I really don't. Um, I think that the chief is committed to this way of life. I don't know that Justice Kavanaugh disagrees, and Barrett may just go along. But what I think we're going to see is a court that's probably more conservative but doesn't want to make any sweeping rulings. The two cases you mentioned, abortion and guns, the court granted what are called limited questions, right? They didn't ask, should we overrule Roe? The question is very narrow, which on face may not even disturb any other precedent. In the gun case, they narrowed the question as well. So I don't know that either of these cases makes serious shifts in the law. I think it may be more restrained than we think. Thanks, Josh. That's Josh Blackman of the South Texas College of Law. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg.